This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. A lot of different topics in this week's parasha of Toldot. It talks about two different children who were born to the same parents. Not only were they two children, two different children born to the same parents, they were also twins, obviously not alike. They were twins born to the same parents who turned out so different extremely different from one edge to another, from one extreme to another, totally different. Uh, we have to understand, try and understand why was that? Why were they so different? And we have to know that every child is different, but some children are more similar to others. But Esav and Yaakov were really totally different on the total edges of the, the spectrum. So one we're going to know, we're going to talk about one is our forefather, and Esau is our nemesis. He's the nemesis of the Jewish people. Even though some great people came from him and joined the Jewish people, Onkelos, it says, the Ger, and it says Antoninus, who's one of the emperors of Rome, joined the Jewish people. The prophet of Vadia was a descendant of Esau. So we do find some greats who are descendants of Esau. However, on the whole, Esau is the antithesis of Jacob, of Yahweh. So we have to discuss that. We have to discuss their names. And oh, this is like a theme in Parashat Breshit. This is a theme right through the book of Genesis of Breshit. The theme of, unfortunately, brotherly hatred from the extreme of Cain and Hevel of fratricide. Uh, next we have our, our Parashat of Esav and Yaakov. And before that was Yishmael and Yitzhak, who seemed to have had a kind of turbulent relationship even though towards the end, when they buried their father, Abraham, they both went together and Ishmael gave priority to Yitzhak. It says Yitzhak and Ishmael went and buried him. So Yitzhak is put first. So we see they did reconcile. Ishmael and Esau did reconcile. Um, however, Esau and Yaakov, it seems they did reconcile, but unfortunately it was not a total reconciliation. And the Gemara says, Esav sonet Yaakov, Esav hates Jacob, Esav hates Jacob. So it was not a total reconciliation. And from there we have other brothers, obviously the children of Yaakov, I mean of Jacob. The children, they sell Yosef, they sell the brother. And so we see from the beginning of Breshid, fratricide, eventually Breshid ends with a kind of reconciliation. After they sell their brother, they meet together in Egypt. And they sort of heal the relationship. So Breshit is one of the themes. One of the themes of Breshit is, of Genesis, is healing the relationships between brothers, brotherly hatred, and eventually brotherly love, if not love and respect, um, getting along somehow for the common good. So that's the how Genesis ends, Breshit ends with this idea of getting along for the common good. Brothers getting along for the common good. Which is a very important idea. And Shemot, we know Exodus starts with brotherly love, the love between Aharon, Aaron, and Moses and Miriam. Miriam saves a brother, a little brother. So from brotherly hatred in Breshit in Genesis, which ends with reconciliation, but not love per se. Uh, Shemot, Exodus starts with brotherly love. And that's the secret of redemption. The secret of redemption is brotherly love. And the secret of exile is hatred, hatred between families and brothers and sisters and siblings. So that's one of the themes. I'm not going to discuss it so much today. 
But it's interesting to note that his brotherly love is a common theme in Breshit. Actually, Breshit does end off with a kind of brotherly love with this story of Benashe and Ephraim, the two sons of Jacob, uh, sorry, the grandsons of Jacob, the sons of Yosef, of Joseph, who even though the younger son was chosen by Jacob, Ephraim was chosen over the eldest son, Menashe, and it says Menashe was not jealous. So again, that's a kind of good ending of Breshit is the brothers, the older brother is not jealous of the younger brother. And that's another theme in Breshit is that the older brother loses the Bechorah, the birthright, which seems like a very old tradition. The brother, the oldest brother gets the birthright and it seems to be knocked out in the Torah. Torah seems to knock it out to a certain extent because we do find Yishmael lost it to Yitzhak and Esau lost it to Yaakov, to Jacob and Reuven and Yehuda lose it to Yosef. So this is a theme also in Breshit, how the, it's not a question of when you're born, it doesn't matter when you're born, it matters on who you are. Quality over the older brother. Quality brother over the older brother. It's another theme, common theme in Breshit, which you have to talk about as well. So it's interesting. And uh, we, we, we find this. As, who, who was the right person for the job? This is one of the themes I'm going to talk about tonight is who is going to be the inheritor of the ideals the vision of Abraham Avinu, Abraham, of ethical monotheism reaching out to the world, and Yitzhak, ethical monotheism, who's going to be the inheritor? Is it going to be Esau? Is it going to be Jacob? This is one of the themes in the parsha. Who is going to be the chosen son? Who is going to be have the inheritance of the birthright? Who is going to be the representative of the descendants of Abraham? Who's going to lead us into the next century? Who is that going to be? Is it going to be Esau or is it going to be Jacob? And here we have the Torah starts off with this idea that the, the two sons were fighting inside the womb. It says that Rivka had terrible birth pangs. She had terrible pains inside her stomach. And uh, she's wondering what's going on. And she gets this prophecy from God that the older will serve the younger. She already knows. She already gets the message. Who's the chosen one? God chose the younger one. The older one will serve the younger one. There are two different kinds of people. And that is because that's the pain inside her womb, is that these twins are fighting inside her. One's going this direction, one's going the other direction. And they're fighting within them. So it's interesting to know, what is this selection process? Let's try and figure out what's going on in their minds. We're going to try with some commentaries, help. What is going on? We really have to try and understand Yitzhak Avinu, our forefather, Isaac Yitzhak. Why is he so adamant to give the birthright to Esau? What does he see in his son Esau? That's so compelling that he wants him to be the, the individual who's going to lead uh, Judaism, per se, at that time, into the next century, into the next millennium. Who is going to be the leader? And he chooses his oldest son, Esau, and we have to understand why. Yitzhak obviously was no fool. Yitzhak was the son of Abraham Avinu. Yitzhak had Ruach HaKodesh. He had the Holy Spirit. What did he see that compelled him to be adamant enough to try and give the blessing to Esau? And he only didn't do that because he was blind. And Yaakov, on his mother's instructions, goes and gets the blessing. We have to talk about that a little bit. How could Yaakov trick his father and the consequences of that trick, obviously, we are living with today, still today. So anyway, so why? 
Why so? The Torah tells us that there are two different people. Esav and Yaakov were two different people. Esav was Esav was Ish Sadeh. Ish Sayid. Ish Sadeh. Yoshev Ohalim. Jacob loved living in a dwelling in tents and Esav was a man of the field. One of the earliest adjectives to describe the two different personalities of Esav and Yaakov. Actually, there's an adjective that comes before that. And that is their names. I promised I was going to discuss their names. Esav, why did his parents call him Esav? Well, the Torah tells us he came out with his hair. He came out ruddy and with a lot of hair. He was complete. You know, a lot of babies, they, they're born without hair. So they're not complete. Esav was complete. His body was complete. It was perfected in terms of having hair. It was complete. So that's the reason why they call him Esav. And Esav was a person who felt that he was complete. He didn't have to strive for perfection. He was perfection personified. You know, there's a lot of people around today who feel like they don't have to be involved with self-improvement. They don't have to learn Musar. I'm perfect. I am God's chosen. I am the most perfect individual God uh, created. For example, Korach, uh, the person who fought with Moses. I am spiritually perfect. In fact, we're all spiritually perfect, Moses. We don't need you, Moshe Rabbeinu. We are as great as you. Kulanu Chachamim, as the as the Haggadah puts it, Kulanu Nevonim. We're all wise. We're all understanding. We're all brilliant. We're all chosen. We're all perfect. Esa was asui. He was ready made. He was perfect, and in his own eyes, he was perfect. His parents thought he was perfect at the beginning, and he thought also till the end. Esa was not striving for perfection. Esau did not strive to better himself. He was a man of perfection. Whereas Yaakov is called the heel. Why would his parents call their son the heel? Okay, the Torah tells us he came out holding on to Esau's heel. What does that mean? And uh, so let's try and understand that. Why would he be called the heel? The heel can also be used. The word ekev is used in the Torah in Parashat Ekev. We have a whole parasha called the heel, but it doesn't really mean the heel. The heel means the end. Moshe Rabbeinu says an amazing prophecy. He says, in the end of time, the Jewish people will listen to God. In the end, you will listen. We're coming to that time uh, very shortly. I mean, it's amazing how many Balechuba there are around us. It's, it, it really is mind-boggling. Who would have believed in the in the early uh, 20th century, you know, when science was taken over and there was enlightenment in Europe and the Jews were leaving Judaism, who would believe there'd be a return back to our roots? And that's a prediction Moshe Rabbeinu gives in the Torah and Parashat Ekev. So Ekev means the heel, means the end. Yaakov was an end person. He didn't live for the here and now. That's what Esau was. Esau was the here and now. I'm ready made. I want it and I want it now. I want it now. That's Esau. There's a lot of people like that. I want it and I want it now. Yaakov says, I don't want it now. I want it later. I want it at the end. I'm not after this world. I'm after the next world. I'm willing to wait and sacrifice for the future. I'm an end person. I believe in the betterment of man. We have to improve ourselves. And I was born, maybe my parents considered me a heel, but I'm going to improve. I'm going to look to the future. Esau was ready made here and now, and Yaakov was the one willing to sacrifice 
sacrificed his food, his soup, his lentil soup for the birthright. And Asaph was not willing to sacrifice the here and now for the birthright, for the future. So that's the difference. Esav and Yaakov, the names symbolize their characters. And the second adjective the Torah gives us is Esav is a man of the field. And Yaakov is a man of the tent. Now, we have to understand what attracted, this is an amazing concept. What attracted Yitzhak to Esav more than to his son Yaakov? Why did it? Yitzhak, was he, what attracted him to bless Esav? So we have to understand that Abraham Avinu was a go-getter. Abraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, was a go-getter. The Rambam tells us one of the few Midrashim that the Rambam quotes in his book of Halakha in the Mishneh Torah is our forefather Abraham would gather groups of people in the hundreds and the thousands and lecture. He was a charismatic leader. Abraham Avinu was a charismatic leader and he could get people together. He would go out and meet people and greet people and try and change people and bring them back to God. He would bring them to God. He was an outreach person personified. He was the first missionary in history of going out and helping people and giving people and bringing them back to God. And when Yitzhak looks at himself and compares himself to his father, you know, this, I saw a survey once about rabbis' children. It's such a hard job being a son of a rabbi or daughter of a rabbi when you compare yourself to your father, your mother, and you say, how can I reach them? Look what they accomplished, what have I accomplished? I feel like a failure. And let's just put that into Yitzhak's mind. Here, my father, Abraham, reached out. He made thousands and thousands of gerim. All the people he made in Haran, all the people he made in Canaan, and when Abraham passed away, we don't hear about them anymore. They left. Yitzhak did not have the charisma. He didn't have the personality to reach out. Yitzhak was gura. He was withdrawn into himself. He could control himself. He was the master of himself. Control his emotions and control himself. To, to sit still only in the Akedah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we have to understand. So what's going through his mind? If my son is like me, that's the end of uh, spreading ethical monotheism in the world. I need a son who's a go-getter. Who is the go-getter in the family? It's not Yaakov. Yaakov is Ishaolim. He's sitting in the tent. He's not getting around. He's not meeting people. He likes to study. He likes to learn. He likes to learn Torah, whatever it is the rabbis tell us. But Esau is the go-getter. Esau is Ishadeh. And maybe that's what drew, maybe that's one of the reasons what drew Yitzhak to Esau. But there's another reason, a deeper reason. What does it mean, Ishadeh? Let's try and understand. Why does the Torah use this adjective, a man of the field? Where is the field first mentioned? And the answer is just before the creation of Adam. And it's interesting because when Adam was created, before he was created, it says it never rained. There was no rain on the, on the ground to make things grow till Adam was born and, sorry, was created he was created fully grown the rabbi said he was 40 years old fully grown what does that mean he's like a tree we cut down the tree it had rings in it you cut down the tree of the garden we had rings already it was not a brand new tree it was an older tree it was created ready made everything was created ready made so adam was created ready made he was a human he was a grown individual Chava was a grown individual. She was also fully grown, fully mature. She was created fully mature. They were both created fully mature. 
but it didn't rain till Adam was created and Adam prayed, Rashi says. There was no man to work the soil. And Rashi says the work involved was to pray. When he prayed, it rained. And that's the first time mentions the word field. The field that God blesses. The field that God blesses. And where else do we find this word field? Yitzhak, it says, went to pray. Where does he go to pray? Yitzhak went out to pray in the field towards the evening. Interesting. Yitzhak chose the best place to pray, Yitzhak says, is in the field. The best place to communicate with God and to connect with God. This is an amazing concept. Where is the best place to communicate with God? Yitzhak Abida says, obviously, in those days, there was no temple, there was no synagogue, there was no Beit Midrash, there was nowhere else. Where is Yitzhak going to choose to pray? Not in a tent. I'm going to pray in the field. Where can I feel Hashem the most? You know, it's a beautiful Rambam. The Rambam says, How does a person come to love God? So one of the ways, there's two ways, he says. One of the ways to connect with Hashem is by going into nature and observing nature and seeing the creations of Hashem. When you see the creations of Hashem, a person will come close to their creator. They'll get close to the creation, going to nature and seeing and observing nature. You can see the fields and you see the rivers and you see the streams and you see the lakes and the mountains and the forests and the sea and the sky and, and uh, waterfalls. You know, there's brachot to be said. The brach of on these wonders of creation. When you see the sea, the Atlantic, the ocean, you have to see a bracha when you see big rivers, you have to see a bracha when you see a waterfall, you got to see a bracha when you see all the, the Alps, you got to see a bracha. Why? They remind a person of the greatness of God, the wonders of God's creation. Yitzhak says, I want to communicate with Hashem, I want to connect with Hashem. Where am I going to go? He's chatting in the field. Rabbi say, who was he chatting to? There was no one there. He was chatting to God. He was talking to God in the field. He was connected to God in the field. When, a, when Yitzhak hears the word field, what does he think about? He thinks about spirituality. Esav is a man of the field. That's good. Why? Because who is he going to communicate with in the field? Who does he uh, join with in the field? Who created the field? Hashem. That's the best place to communicate with God. Yitzhak got excited. Esau is a man of the field. That's great. He's spiritual. He goes to the fields to meditate. You know, how greats were all shepherds. They were all in the fields. Uh, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they were all shepherds. They were in the fields communicating with God. The majority of that time, when you're looking at the sheep, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, was a shepherd. David Amelech was a shepherd. When you are looking after the sheep in the fields, usually sheep are very, very calm. They don't run around much. And they have a lot of time to contemplate. There's a lot of time to meditate. So when Yitzhak heard that his son Esau was a man of the field, he got very excited. A man of the field, that's where you meditate. That's where you communicate with God. That must be the chosen one. Esau is the chosen one. Yaakov's in the tents. You know, when you're in the house and you're surrounded, especially today, we're surrounded by science. You're surrounded by electronics. You're surrounded with gadgets. You forget God. 
person forgets God. You have to, you know, it's interesting. It says the synagogue, even though we pray inside, the synagogue must have 12 windows. People don't really know that. 12 windows for a synagogue, three windows on each side. Why? So it says amazing concept. The windows should not be on ground level. They should be above ground level. So when the person loses focus, who they pray to, they'll look up and look at the sky through the window. Yeah, that's interesting because one of the biggest things, you go to synagogues, they have all these, these uh, colored windows. And it really ruins the whole purpose of a window. The idea of the window in the synagogue is to look up and look at the sky. When you lose focus, it's so beautiful, especially a blue sky in Yushalayim, Kodesh. There's nothing like it. Well, hopefully we get some rain. But it's been beautifully blue right up to now. So, you know, we're waiting for the rain to come down. Anyway, so a person who is not focused on God, what do you do? Go out in the fields and meditate. Go out and look around you. Look around at the, at the blue sky, at the green grass, at the trees, um, at the weather, uh, rain, thunder, lightning, uh, the wonders of nature. So Yitzhak, when he heard his son Esau was a man of the field, it did not sound negative. For him, it was a positive because in his life, when he was connected to God, it was in the field. So when he heard Esau was a man of the field, it attracted him. It inspired him. My son is like me. He's connected with Hashem in the field in creation. And and Yaakov was in the tents. Okay. You know, the Ramah says there's two ways to connect to Hashem. One is through nature. And the other one is through Torah. Amazing Rambam. When you learn Torah, we learn Hashem's gift to us. The Torah person gets connected to God, the lawgiver. Moshe was the lawgiver. Hashem gave the law. Hashem gave us his Torah. A Torah is come from the word Hora'ah. You know, the word Moreh, Morah, teacher is from the Torah. Torah is the teachings. The teachings came from God. That should, when a person learns Torah, they talk, they're getting God communicating with them. We learn God is talking to us through the Torah. We forget. But so there's two ways Ramam says. One is through nature and one is through Torah. So here is uh, Yitzhak Avi looking at his sons. Esav is communing with God through nature. And Yaakov is communing to God through Torah. I don't know how much Torah there was in that time. There were Noachite laws, seven Noachite laws, and whatever the forefathers learned from communications they got uh, with God. So very interesting. So that's maybe that's the reason why Yitzhak was drawn to Esav. Esav was a man of the field. Field had good connotations for Yitzhak. I'm also a man of the field, Yitzhak says. I communicate with God in the field. But Yitzhak, he went out in the field towards evening until today. The rabbi say in the Gemara and Brachot, we have the prayer. Mincha prayer was founded by our forefather Yitzhak. He prayed Mincha in the field. He communicated with God in the field. The most spiritual place that Yitzhak could find was the field. When his son was a man of the field, it attracted him. Amazing insight. And so uh, both Rashi and Samson for Hirsch, uh, they assigned two epithets to their nature. Rashi says, Esau was a man of the field. He was a hunter. The Torah says he was a hunter. Rashi says he was a hunter with his mouth. He was a con artist. Esau was the first. I don't know if he was the first. He was one of the greatest con artists. He could trick his father. He was a man of the field, but not in a good sense. 
He was a wild man. He was a man, a hunter, who could trick people with his tongue. That's how Rashi explains it. And, uh, and uh, Samson of Hirsch also says that about Esau. His character was violent. His character was wild. And whereas Yaakov was a Yoshevo Halim, he dwelt in tents. He, he dwelt in tents, which is a very interesting. So Rabbi Samson of Hirsch is the one who says, Lick the word Sadeh, a man of the field, to something spiritual in Yitzhak's eyes. The Sadeh has good connotations. Whereas Rivka knew what he was doing in the field, he was wild. He was a hunter. His essence was a man of the field. He wasn't a man of the field looking for spirituality. He was a man of the field who wanted to be in materialism in the field. There's two men of the field. You can be a person who's looking at nature and finding God, or you can be a person who is looking at nature and discarding God. I find it interesting. The biggest atheists among, among scientists are biologists. I don't know if you know that. Biologists who are looking at God working in DNA and molecules, they don't find God over there. They don't find God. They're atheists. You can use nature as a tool to find God, or even when studying nature, you can be an atheist. So you can be a man of the field and look at the field and wonder who the creator of the field is, or you can be a man of the field who ignores the creator of the field and becomes just materialistic. And that was Asaph. Asaph was a man of the field like the biologists. They learned biology. I'm not, I'm not generalizing. I know we have a very good biologist now, Shul. A professor of biology, one of the few <laughs> in, uh, in the college who really believed in God, Baruch Hashem, thank God. We need good biologists. We need religious biologists. We need biologists who can see God in the DNA. I mean, I mean it's an amazing structure. And it's amazing how Hashem made this. We have to believe creation. We believe in creation. Hashem created everything. And, and you can see it in the, in the minutiae of creation. That's the, that's the brilliance. The brilliance is not in the majestic stars, but it's in the minutiae what created this from the small, from the tiny. And that's a whole new field of science, studying, building things with tiny building blocks, nanoscience, okay, nanoscience, seeing God in the nano. That is, and so you can be in the field and see God, you can be in the field and deny God. You can be a biologist who sees God in biology, you can see a biologist who ignores God in biology. So, so what happens is Yaakov is a man of of the tense. He's a man of the tense. Uh, but you know what? Yaakov is not just a man of the tense. We see Yaakov in the fields. And uh, very, very interesting. So Aesop does not simply work in the fields. He was a man of the field. He was physical. He was material. He was tied up in his vocation. You can be a banker or you are a banker. You can be an engineer or you are an engineer. Esau was a field. He loved the field. He was the field. He was materialistic. So uh, it's interesting. Yitzhak was a man also for the tents. We find later on, he says, when he got blind, he didn't leave the tent. So Yitzhak, again, was found in his tent. And just as Esau was not comfortable away from his fields, Yitzhak was uncomfortable away from his tent. 
Yaakov dwelt in tents, but he was not a man of the tents. Interesting. It says Esau was a man of the field. But it says Yaakov was a man who dwelt in the tent. He wasn't a man of the tent. He, didn't, he wasn't a man who was an introvert and just didn't want to go out and just stay inside. No, he wasn't a man of the tent. Whereas Esau was an extrovert and a field man and just staying outside all day and being wild. Yaakov was not just a man of the tent. He was a, person, a man who dwelt in the tent. He happened to be a person who liked to be in the tent, but he wasn't a man of the tent. He was also a go-getter. That's something which we're going to pick up now. Where, how do we know this? Because it says eventually Yaakov is forced out of the house. His brother wants to kill him. And his parents send him away. And what happens to Yaakov? He goes and he meets his future wife. Where? In the field. It's in the field he meets Rachel, Rachel, his future wife. It's in the fields that he works for Lavan looking after the sheep. It's in the fields that he meets with his two wives to decide upon how to leave Lavan and go back to Canaan. It's in the fields that Yaakov sends his sons to work for their family's needs. Yaakov, like his grandfather, Abraham Avinu, was aware of the practical necessity of the field, the domain of mankind. But like his father, he was also at peace in the tent. He was at peace in the fields and he was at peace in the tent. He could approach God from both sides. He could approach God through the fields. This, this is a ter- tremendous idea for all of us to approach God through nature, through the fields and approach God through Torah in the tent. It's a tremendous. So when a person gets tired and he can't learn Torah or just not into learning Torah today or whatever it is, and he's not into it, go to the field and look around nature and try and find God through nature. Look for the creator of the world through nature. That's how Abraham Avinu got to God, by observing nature and finding the creator through nature. The creator of uh, the world is Hashem. So finding God through nature or finding God through Torah. So Esau was in the field, but he didn't see God in the field. Yaakov could find God in both places, in the tent, through Torah, through learning, and through the field, through nature. When he was in the field, he was a shepherd and finding God and communicating with God and seeing angels in the field. Amazing concept to, to use both places. So I'm basing myself on Rabbi Shemshon for Hirsch, his commentary on Bereshit. And uh, so it's a very important theme going through it. You know, the man of the field and the man of the tent. And the synthesis was Jacob Yaakov Avina was both. He was the man of the field and the man of the tent. But we have a very big problem. Why did Esau, why did Yitzhak love Esau so much? Why did Yitzhak love Esau, his son, who he so eventually understood, was a murderer who was ready to murder his own brother? Because we find that Rivka tells Yitzhak, let's send the Yaakov away. Let's send him away to get married. And he knew that the reason she was, she had under, underlying reasons because she was worried that Esau would kill Yaakov. So Yitzhak has this premonition, you know, we have to send Yaakov away as well. You have to send him away. He needs to get married. Esau's a threat. Send him away. So why did Yitzhak keep on loving Esau? And it's a very important idea that in Judaism, 
this idea of unconditional love. The idea of loving a parent, loving their child is something we have to learn from the Parsha. A very, very important reason why we have to learn this. I'm going to give you an amazing reason. This is a tremendous idea over here in the Parsha. So we have no difficulty understanding why did Rivka love Yaakov? She loved her son Jacob. He was a man of the dense. He was nice. He was polite. He was kind. He was sweet. He was everything you would love in a child. But why did Yitzhak love Esau? What was so special about Esau's sweet? We said maybe it's because he associated Esau with the fields, and fields had good connotations, spiritual connotations. But eventually Yitzhak saw behind that and saw beyond that. He could see bad things in Esau. And Esau came crying and saying, you know, he, my brother robbed me twice. He stole my bechorah, he stole my birthright. And Esau says, Gam baruch yeh, he will be blessed. Why did you sell your birthright to your brother? Yitzhak starts realizing who Esau really is. But why does Yitzhak continue to love Esau? So let's talk a bit about that. So the real question is, why did Yitzhak love Esau? Could he not see as a man of the outdoors, a hunter, not a person who could reach Hashem? Is it conceivable he loved Esau because he loved the food that Esau brought him? Did his appetite rule his mind and his heart? Did Yitzhak not know that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup? And he despised, the Torah says, Esau hated, despised his birthright. He despised the birthright of Abraham. He despised ethical monotheism. Was this someone to entrust spirituality of Abraham to? Yitzhak knew his elder son was a man of bad temper who lived in the emotions of the moment. And eventually Esau shows his true colors. He marries into the Hittite families, something which Abraham Avinu rejected for his son Yitzhak. And Esau goes and takes wives from the idol worshippers around him. And it caused grief for Esau and Rivka, for Yitzhak and Rivka. This caused tremendous grief for Yitzhak and Rivka. And still Yitzhak loves Esau. It remains so. Why? And in the end of the story, really conveys the depth of feeling between them. Esau enters with the food he had prepared. Slowly Yitzhak and then Esau realize the nature of the deception of Yaakov. And Yitzhak trembled violently, it says. Yitzhak trembled violently. And Esau burst out in a loud and bitter cry. So that's a very important idea. It's difficult to convey the power of the description. Yitzhak is trembling and Esau is crying, screaming. We have to remember, we have to understand this. It says, yeah, Yitzhak was trembling violently and Yitzhak and Esau was crying. It's hard, hard to envision. Imagine the father is trembling violently and, and his son is screaming. Let's try and understand that. So Rashi says over there, Yitzhak was trembling he smelt and he felt the fires of Gehenna. He felt the fires of Gehenna under his feet. 
and says that that same day that Esav had done terrible things and he had some kind of premonition, Yitzhak had a premonition that bad things are going to happen to his son Esav. Esav is not doing the right things. But with all that, he's trembling. My son Esav, my poor son Esav, what am I going to do for him? My poor son. And Esav is begging, please, daddy, give me a bracha. Please, daddy, give me a bracha. And Yitzhak says, I gave you a bracha already to your brother. Don't you have another bracha, my father? Yes, he says, I gave you another bracha. Yitzhak gave his son another bracha because he loved him so much. He gave him a bracha of materialism. He gave him a materialistic bracha. So why did Yitzhak love Esav till the end? Even though Esav had intermarried with the Hittites, the worst, the idol worshippers, and caused tremendous painting. So let's try and understand. Well, we know Yitzhak grew up with his stepbrother, Ishmael. And Yitzhak witnessed his stepbrother being sent away by Abraham Avinu. And that must have, I don't know, must have left some kind of hard feeling inside Yitzhak. He lost his stepbrothers or his closest relative. He lost his closest relative. His father sent him away. His mother wanted to send him away, obviously, for good reasons. And he must have known how much that pained Abraham Avinu. Think about it. Abraham Avinu was pained. And it, it must have injured Ishmael to be sent away from his loving father. They loved each other. Yeah. Abraham and Ishmael loved each other. And there's a remarkable series of Midrashim, beautiful Midrashim, that suggests that Abraham went to visit Ishmael a few times. And eventually Ishmael does Teshuvah because of Abraham's visits. And maybe Yitzhak was determined not to do the same thing to Esau. Not to send away one son. Likewise, he knew the psychological cost on both his father and himself. How much they missed. They nearly missed each other. Yitzhak was nearly sent up on the altar. So he he knew the trauma already of of getting rid of the son, of moving, doing away with one son, Abraham Avinu. The trials of Abraham, these are all trials of Abraham, sending away one son, doing the Akedah with the other son, the trials of Abraham. And there's a beautiful, fascinating debate between two Mishnaic sages in the Mishnah. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 14.1 that says about the Jewish people, you are the children of Hashem, your God. Rabbi Huda says, this only applies when the Jewish people are doing, working, behaving like children of God. When we behave like children of God, God says, you are my children. But when you're not behaving well, Hashem says, you're not my children. Rabbi Meir says, this is Rabbi Meir Balanes, it's unconditional. Hashem loves us like his children, unconditionally. Hashem loves us as it should, no matter what we do. Hashem loves us. Amir Balanes, who was a man who could do miracles, Hashem answered him every time he called out. Because Hashem, he says, Hashem loves us unconditionally. 
whether we behave like God's children or not, we are God's children. We are called the children of God. So this debate can be found in Masechet Kiddushin, which is very uh, interesting, 36. 36a, which has 36, number 36, has very good connotations for us. It's double high. It's also the number of hidden sabbatim in the world. So 36, easy to remember. Page 36 in Kiddushin. Look at our fascinating debate. Are we God's children? What at, no matter what we do, says Radishram, yes, we are God's children, no matter what we do. And maybe that's what Yitzhak, Yitzhak Avinu got it from God. He learned this from Hashem. He was close to Hashem. Hashem, you love us unconditionally. He got this from Avinu. Hashem loves mankind unconditionally. Hashem loves human beings unconditionally. We have something we have to remember this every single day. Hashem loves all of us unconditionally. Our best friend in the world. If you want a best friend, the best friend you can ever get is a friend who never leaves you 24-7. That's Hashem. Hashem is our best friend. Communicate. Love him, he'll love you. You love him, he'll love you, but he loves you anyway. He's unconditional love. That's Ramir Baraness. And it's interesting because Ramir Baraness had a, had a rabbi. His rabbi was called Elisha ben Abuya who eventually goes off the path, Elisha ben Abuya. But Rameh Balanes is faithful to his rabbi of old. And even though he doesn't follow in his path, he does keep on learning from him. He says, I take the good and leave the bad. I separate the good parts and I take out the bad. I don't follow the bad parts of Rameh Balanes, of Rabbi Elisha ben Abuya. So very fascinating. Rameh believed in unconditional love. And that's what God, Hashem, treats us with unconditional love. Where is his children? We say in our prayers, Avinu, Malkenu, our father, our king, you are our father. What do you mean, our father? Hashem is the father like Yitzhak Avinu. The father of unconditional love. Yitzhak Avinu was modeling himself on God. That is, that is a beautiful idea. That's one of the lessons in the parasha. Love your children unconditionally, and Hashem loves us unconditionally. That is amazing. So perhaps that is what Yitzhak is teaching us to all generations by his continuing love for Esau. So unlike him, so different in character and destiny, yet never rejected by him. Yitzhak never rejected his son Esau. Just as the Midrash says that Abraham Avinu never rejected Ishmael, and eventually brought back Ishmael and found ways of communicating his love to Ishmael. Unconditional love is not uncritical love, but it's unbreakable love. You can be critical, but love is unbreakable. And that's how we love our children. That's how God loves us. So a very, very beautiful idea. So the Kliyakar asked the question, Esau was asul. Esau was ready-made. Esau thought that he was perfect. When a child is born, he's born with his five senses. And the five senses develop very quickly. Immediately he has desires for the pleasures of the physical world. In contrast, the more spiritual abilities, such as wisdom, they only arise later in life. Moreover, in order to develop one senses of spirituality, a person must gradually work on themselves to develop their spiritual side and overcome their natural desires. 
which Esau was not willing to do, and which Yaakov was willing to do, hence their names of Esau and Yaakov. Esau ready made, and the famous descendants of Esau were the Romans, the rabbis tell us. The Edomians, Edom, who had read, Esau was red, Mars, the red planet, bloodshed, Rome. So Esau, the most famous spiritual descendants were Romans, who dominated much, much, the, much of the known world for hundreds of years. They emulated Esau's approach to the physical and spiritual world in their outlook and actions. The Midrash says there was a Roman leader who asked Rabbi Kiva, whose creation is greater, that of God's or God of man? This is a loaded question, a tricky question. And straight away, Rabbi Kiva understood what was the Roman getting at. You know, we Jews have a right called circumcision. By doing circumcision, we are perfecting our bodies. The Roman is asking, whose work is better, God's or man's? If you say God's work is better, why are you altering God's work? And Rabbi Kiva says, you know what? Man's work is better. The Roman nearly fell off his chair. He said, man's work is better than God's work. You know what you're saying? You're a rabbi. What kind of thing are you saying? He says, Hashem makes the wheat. We make it into flour. We make bread out of it. Hashem gives us the stones. We make them into houses. We complete God's creation. Our mission, man's mission, is to complete God's creation. And that's the difference between Asui, person who feels I'm ready made. Hashem, finish me the way I am. I'll just be the way God created me. I'm evil. God created me evil. I'm not going to change myself. I have bad uh, temper. That's the way God created me. That's who I am. I'm not changing it. We say, no, man's creation. We have to do tikkun. We have to fix ourselves. We have to fix the world. Man's creation is better. The Ramam says, we circumcise ourselves to tell us, just like the perfection of a person's human body is in our hands, the perfection of our souls are also in our hands. The perfection of our souls are in our hands. That's our mission. That's, that's the lesson we learned from Yaakov Vino now. This week's parasha is really a tough parasha. It's got trickery in it. It's a terrible trickery in the parasha, which it's very hard to understand what's it doing over here in the Bible. What do we do in our holy book? And it's interesting because this is one of the proofs that our, that our book is really from God. Because there's nothing is whitewashed in our book. All the other books of every other nation, what they claim is their Bibles and their whatever it is, they're all whitewashed. All the heroes are saints. All the heroes are not human. They're, they're superhuman. They're, they're something from above. They're not from this world. They're, they're perfect. Our Bible is humanity. It's human beings who are not perfect but are striving for perfection. We have to strive for perfection. But Bezrat Hashem, all of us, will learn the lesson of this parasha of uh, striving in our lives like Yaakov, you know, striving for perfection, striving to get better, striving to improve. And Bezrat Hashem will reach it together. And I want to finish off by blessing everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.